Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Jason Davies, and I'm here with you every other week, if not every week sometimes, to discuss occupational therapy in the schools. So today we are here to discuss how teletherapy has evolved over the past few years, especially with the pandemic in the past two years. Everything has changed. I think just about everyone listening right now has experienced telehealth or teletherapy in the past two years, and I cannot believe we are coming up on that two-year March 13th date, if I remember it right, when things started to shut down. But Aside from looking at the past, we're also going to look into the future a little bit and how teletherapy is going to move forward, how it fits into occupational therapy right now and also moving forward into the future. In fact, one of my favorite questions you're going to hear in a little bit is how the world is changing. You know, Facebook changed their name to Meta this past few months and, well, I just can't wait to see what teletherapy brings within the next few years. It's going to take a little while to advance that much, but it's going to get crazy where we go. So to get some of these insights, I'm excited to have on occupational therapist Tasha Holmes and speech and language pathologist Kristen Martinez to join us for this episode. Tasha and Kristen are both employed at a company called Presence Learning, where they do provide occupational therapy, online teletherapy, as well as speech and a few other services. Kristen and Tasha are not practicing for Presence Learning at this moment, but they do support other occupational therapists who do practice through teletherapy. And so they are going to have several insights as to what therapists have difficulties with and how they are helping them get past those difficulties and get past some of those those mind thoughts that might be limiting their ability to progress. They're also going to share with us a little bit about the presence learning platform that they use, which is different from Zoom or Google Meets, and, and it allows them to do more things and be more interactive with the clients that they serve. So now that there is a light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic, hopefully I know Omicron is kind of poking its head out, but hopefully we can get beyond that. We do want to see how teletherapy is going to continue to move forward. So please help me in welcoming Tasha and Kristen to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. I hope you enjoy this interview. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tasha. Thank you so much, uh, Kristen, for being here today. I want to let you all kind of get started and just talk about your role at Presence Learning and kind of where you fit into the therapy world. And so I'll actually go ahead and start with Kristen. Let us know a little bit about yourself. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for having us today. So I'm Kristen Martinez. I am an SLP by trade. And so I have been an SLP now for over 20 years, which feels a bit shocking, but here we are. So I was an on site school-based therapist in a private practice here in my local area for about 13 years before starting with Presence Learning in 2013. So I first started in teletherapy, not knowing any single other person who was doing teletherapy. I knew nothing about it, but I was at a point where I was taking a leave of absence from my district position, needed some more time to support some family needs for a bit. And Presence Learning reached out to me because they were needing therapists in Colorado. So I thought, okay, I'll try it. And about a month in, just realized how much I loved it. It was a really great fit for me. And so I made the permanent transition. So I was a provider, provided teletherapy services, um, therapy evaluations, you know, really supporting all the full scope of work for SLPs for a couple of years. Then I came over as an employee for the company and spent a few years managing the clinical side of accounts, working really closely with school districts, supporting our providers. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I've been clinical director for SLP and OT services. Oh, great. So that's, that's my, my, my journey. So that means all the OTs and the SLPs, they kind of get to work with you a little bit to hone their teletherapy skills. So my role now is not I not as much day to day direct. Um, uh-huh. You know, we've been lucky enough to have quite a bit of growth in in our company, and so we have whole teams of uh, clinical account managers who really 
support day-to-day needs for our therapists. And Tasha and I, while we do engage with providers, we also do a lot to support resources and bringing in programs and you know, some of the high level clinical pieces in order to, you know, expand what we're doing as a teletherapy company and to expand what is available to our therapists. But I'll let, I'll let Tasha speak a bit more to her role and how she, she engages with our services and therapists. Yeah, absolutely. So Tasha, yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and share your, your role within presence learning. Sure. So I am Tasha Holmes. I am an occupational therapist. I've been in OT for almost 18 years. I've done pretty much it all. Hospitals, nursing homes, home health, pediatrics, geriatrics, the ages in between. So I've, you know, had a pretty well-rounded career. My husband used to be active duty in the Marine Corps prior to retiring. And so um, with the moving around, I've done traveling therapy as well. But, you know, once we got married and we started a family, um, it became a little bit tricky to keep moving and continue with my career. You know, I loved being able to work somewhere, but then you're there, you're invested, and then it's time to go. Mm. And so when I, uh, you know, found out about presence learning, it was an excellent fit for me. At this point, I've worked with presence learning in three different states, and I've been able to, you know, just that continuity of having a place where I can, you know, hone my skills, learn something new, but continue to do that, um, have that work-life balance um, is the reason why this has been the longest company that I've been with in my 18 years as an OT. Um, Like Kristen, I started out as a provider. So, you know, doing evaluations and assessments, um, working with families and schools. I did that for about six years. And then this past year in October of 2020, I became an employee. And so as Kristen was stating, we do have account managers that are licensed therapists and they work directly with the districts and make sure that the day-to-day needs are met via the providers. I did that for a year along with um, another position where I was able to support providers directly through office hours and workshops. And now my position is changed a little bit more. I'm a clinical quality and resource manager. That's my official title, but I'm also the subject matter expert for OT for telehealth at the company. And um, I think that's really important role. Um, Something that really sets, you know, us apart is that not only do I get to help support providers, but I also help to give input as to how things are being shaped on the OT end to support providers. um, So that way they're delivering the highest level, most ethical services that they can provide for their students. That's amazing. And I must admit, you know, it's not very often that I get to sit down and have a call with either an OT or a speech, granted we have both today, that have gone into a role of leadership. It's very hard within the schools, even outside in other settings, clinical practices and and in a hospital for OTs and speech therapists to get into a leadership role. It just doesn't happen, especially in the schools. You know, we don't have a credential in most states, and so we're not even able to. But I just want to congratulate both of you for being in a role where you have had that opportunity to really grow as a leadership. So that's that's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it is It is really exciting. And it, it is one of the other pieces that really drew me, kept me with presence learning once I learned about the company and is that I did see opportunities where I could still be involved with what I loved as a speech language pathologist, but also work as a mentor and as a coach and working with other, you know, people who are from completely different disciplines than myself outside of education, outside of, you know, a clinical world but really all of that work to shape services for students. So it has been a really great opportunity. Yeah, that's just awesome. All right. So I want to, Tasha, I have a question for you. Obviously, as occupational therapists, we always have some difficulty explaining our role as an OT. No one knows what we do. I think even less people know what we do when it comes to teletherapy. And so I want to ask you, if you're at a party, you're at a gathering, whatever it might be, and someone asks you, What do you do as an occupational therapist for presence learning? How do you respond to that? So I like to explain first, because you do always have to start with that OT piece. And I explain to them, occupation is everything that you do in your life from the time you wake up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night. So if you're having a problem with doing any of those activities, then OTs are there to assist. And we assist 
based on what is limiting you from being able to complete those activities. So then I narrow it down to in telehealth for pediatrics, we're looking at what does it look like for the day in a life for a student? And so everything that that student needs to do from the time that they arrive to school until it's time for them to go home, we're taking a look at those different activities and those activities that are keeping them from being able to participate in their academic program. We're addressing those needs, you know, within our scope of expertise. And that usually helps people a little bit better because then they're like, oh, well, so then kids write and they cut and they socialize and they do all of these different activities and like, exactly. And then in the telehealth realm, not only are we looking at those particular activities, we're adding in the technological piece of helping those students access the help that they need. So whereas um, maybe they can access an OT on site that can help address their needs. Um, that may not be the case for their particular district or for their particular medical situation or their particular needs. And so telehealth helps to marry that access to being able to complete your academic program by addressing those deficits. Definitely. And I love how you tied in that technology piece. Obviously, we're sitting here at the end of 2021, which has been a crazy time for many, well, basically every school across the entire world. And so uh, that leads kind of into the very next question that I wanted to ask you about is how things have changed or maybe not changed, I don't know, at Presence Learning over the past two years since the pandemic started. And I don't know, maybe Kristen, you want to share a little bit about how Presence Learning has adapted over the last two years? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, of course, as a teletherapy company, um, we were founded in 2009. So we were around and providing remote services long before, you know, there was a pandemic, clearly. So we felt fortunate that we were in a position to provide help, to be able to share expertise, share services, because everybody was having to turn to teletherapy during that time, of course. And you know, and not because they wanted to, not because they made a choice in their careers or for their students where they said, oh, I'm going to consider this, get training and become a teletherapist where, you know, that's how Tasha and I joined. We, you know, it was our choice. It was, we wanted to learn. We had resources. We had time, all of those pieces that didn't exist, you know, in March of 2020. So, Of course, we were available to provide direct services. Um, We do contract. We have about over 1,500 therapists in our network, SLPs, OTs, school psychologists, mental um, licensed clinical social workers. So we could help with direct services. But what districts most needed was just help. They had the staff in many cases already. They had their on-site OTs, SLPs but they had just never done teletherapy before. And so of course there were options out there and just in terms of a piece of technology, but there was very little training support nor platforms that were actually designed for this. So the biggest thing that changed for us as a company, the entire time since we started, we have had our own platform. Our platform was designed by our product and engineering team over the past decade and specifically designed for therapy. So it's not based in Zoom. It's not based in you know another platform. It was built from the ground up. And everything included in the platform is designed to provide therapy services, either SLP, OT, or another, another discipline. So we realized that this was really an opportunity for us to help in another way was to make our platform available. So that was a, a significant pivot for us as a company is we did make our platform available to school districts, to private clinicians who wanted something better. And we also provided training on the platform. And that's something that we've continued to do and continue to expand on. So it's actually called our Therapy Essentials Program. So that's another way that individuals, you know, university programs, clinics, school districts, if they are needing you know, a really strong platform in order to provide therapy services and are also looking for the tech support piece, which we also integrate and also training, we've made that available. So that was absolutely a new, a new piece for us and something that we are continuing to support. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't realize that you had made that available. So Mm -hmm. I think I might ask this a little bit later, but how is that program different from Zoom or Google Meets? Yeah. So 
good question. And there's, I could go on for quite a while about that. But <laughs> what are some of the highlights? Succinctly, succinctly, um, you know, like I said, I mean, those are amazing platforms. We're using one right now as a business tool, as mm-hmm. a way to connect with each other. I think we were all using those platforms just to con- stay connected with family and friends and, you know, business meetings. But there's a lot of, if you're trying to provide therapy services, you're having to also bring in other resources. You're having to layer in, you know, the screen sharing and trying to show another screen at the same time. And, you know, there's just, it's not built for therapy. They're just, they just aren't. That wasn't the primary purpose. Our platform was, it was built for therapy. So everything is integrated. For instance, we partner with publishers to have integrated assessments in our platform. And so as an SLP, for instance, you know, I'm not, if I'm administering something like the self, I'm not having to take my visual stimulus and hold it up to the camera for the student to see it's built in. I can integrate a second camera, which Tasha can speak to very important for OT services. Again, it's really just, it's a one-stop shop as a therapist. Everything is there. I don't have to, we have an activities library. I can upload my own activities to the library. Uh, It's interactive. There's built-in reward systems. So it's just, it's engaging and fun for kids, you know, and we work in early intervention all the way through transition age. So really a pretty broad range of age levels. So it's just, it is a a meaningful and intentional tool for therapists. Very cool. Yeah. So, and Tasha, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you add anything else you want to yeah, in terms I, of the, I was gonna, the OT side. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tasha, let me ask a question. You can answer a little bit of that too, but you know, Kristen just mentioned some of the technology side, but she did mention you kind of talking about potentially having that second camera. Uh, so in addition to talking a little bit about the platform, also talk a little bit about some of the tools that are very helpful for a teletherapist. Absolutely. And I would say that second camera um, really does make a difference. I, you know, at the time when the pandemic hit, my two kids were home and, you know, everybody was trying to make their, you know, work their way around it. And so my kids, you know, they've seen me do therapy through the platform. So to them, that's what teletherapy was, or, you know, just doing their schooling online. And I realized that, when I'm in the presence learning platform and I have my second camera and I'm just hitting a button to turn the second camera on, that frees up my brain for so many other things than when I was trying to set my kids up, like, let me get you set up. You know, this is my thing. And I'm like, all right, I need a hack to figure out how to set up a second camera so your teacher can see your hands. And, you know, and there was a lot of thinking involved. And, you know, and I'm sure that you can attest to this, Jason, you know, burnout is really high as a therapist. And so the extra brain power that you're taking to figure out hacks or workarounds that really, it takes your, it's toll on you throughout the day. And so I found with using the presence learning platform, I'm able to use tools um, to demonstrate things on the um, screen. So we have whiteboard tools where, you know, you can demonstrate letter formation, but I can easily pop out a YouTube video at the same time while watching the second camera, seeing what my students actually writing on their um, desktop, but I can run a second camera too. So if you have two people in the room, you can be running four cameras. They can watch me. I can watch them, but I could simultaneously have a letter formation video on the screen or a drawing video on the screen. Or if I have a student who's working on typing, I can place an activity on the screen, have them open up a chat box, have them angle the camera towards their their keyboard. Mm -hmm. I can see their finger placement also while seeing what they're typing. I can flip to, we have something called Team Write, where it's a collaborative typing activity have my students practice typing there. You can also save documents. So for those kiddos, one of the big things that people are always concerned about, behaviors or kids who have sensory needs, the platform allows for that too, where I'm not trying to bring in other things where, okay, I know this student needs a timer. We have widgets. You can pull out a timer. I can pull out pictures for a visual schedule that mimics what the student may have in the classroom. I can pull out, you know, paper, special paper that maybe my student's working on and they can write on the screen, but also write on their desk and I can see what they're doing. So those features really help with 
you know, providing OT services, being able to, I I always told my kids that when you're small in the corner and we have something else larger on the screen, you are a TV star, but I can make you a movie star by having, you know, put you on the big screen. And so I can put them on the big screen. They're a movie star. I can see really well what's going on on their desk. If they get that movie star status and they're looking at themselves thinking they're adorable, I can hide their pictures. So that way they're not distracted. And I can still see what's on their desk. They're focusing a little bit better. So all of those tools really help with supporting services, but they also help me as a clinician because I'm not in the back of my head. Okay, how am I going to do this? I just do it. Seamless. Throw this on the screen. I can do all of these different things. I'm not trying to figure out how I'm going to piece something together, which allows me to be more creative during my sessions. I, I think that's spot on because it does take a lot of brain power just to figure out how to share screen and whatnot. I remember I'm pretty technologically savvy. And so I was helping my APE teacher. I was helping my speech therapist. I was helping everyone learn how to use Zoom. We were actually in the process of going through my first A to Z school-based OT course with some I had about 30 therapists and we were going through how to be a school-based OT, all the the ins and outs of evaluations and treatment. And when the pandemic hit, we were about four weeks into using Zoom as our platform for that course. And so everyone that was in my course are like, oh, I already know how to use Zoom a little bit. (laughs) They're feeling so much better, but it's still a huge learning curve. One thing that you kind of mentioned in there was that you are able to hide the student's video from their screen. Is that true? Absolutely. So being able to hide the camera works for those kiddos who are either distracted by seeing themselves because it's a one-way camera, they just see a silhouette, or for those kiddos, you do have kids who they don't want to see themselves on screen. It's very jarring for them. And so to be able to hide that and allow them to work without feeling like they're being displayed really goes a long way for helping build that therapeutic rapport because then they trust you. They know that you're not forcing them into something that they're not comfortable with and you can focus on what you're doing in the session. That's awesome. I I can think of two specific cases where this would have come in handy because I had one kid who he would be fixated on his view. And so he had figured out, I mean, just like most kids, better at technology than the adults. And anytime the mom tried to hide his video anyway on Zoom, he knew how to get it back and he would just stare at his own video. It was just like he was just looking at a book and he didn't want to move, didn't want to do anything except stare at his own video. I had another student who didn't want to see my video at all. And so as long as my video was up, they weren't going to do anything. So that's great that the platform allows you to be very versatile like that. Awesome. All right. So we're, we're talking a lot here and I want to make sure we get through everything. So <laughs> we might have to go through some rapid fire stuff. But if you had to think of one thing that therapists struggle the most with when it comes to moving from traditional in-person therapy to teletherapy, could you each give me that one big struggle that you see most therapists having? Kristen, you want to go ahead and, and start? Sure. So I think one of the biggest pieces, at least for SLPs, is, you know, for some, I hear a lot from SLPs that they they say they're very hands-on, that they want to, you know, they're doing articulation, you know, and they want to be able to do tactile stimulation or, you know, how, how do you do prompt therapy? Like, how do you do these things if you can't be physically in the same space? You know, and there's a lot of related questions to that. How do you, you know, possibly work with preschoolers or, you know, a lot of those things. So, you know, first of all, I think it's really important for people to understand that teletherapy is not a new kind of therapy. You are taking your skills, your experience and translating those skills to a different modality. So what we help with and help therapists learn and develop is how to just translate those skills. And so you are still addressing the same goal areas. You're not modifying goals for teletherapy. You're not taking goals off and saying, nope, we just can't do that. You are learning how to still address those goals in an effective and efficacious way. So sometimes that means, you know, it can sometimes shift your technique potentially, but more often than not, you are engaging with, of course, the tools and the platform, but sometimes leveraging that in-person support. And so in presence learning, we call that person a primary support person, especially when you're working with kids, there, there needs to be an adult in the room, a, you know, a staff member does not need to be a trained clinician in any way. 
but somebody who can, you know, at the, I, I think of it as a spectrum on one end of the spectrum, you have just line of sight supervision for kids who are very independent. They engage on the computer all day long, just somebody in the room in case something comes up, a tech issue, they can help with really quickly all the way over to our students who, you know, they might require one-on-one support throughout their school day to access general education. That same level of support is required if they're working in teletherapy. So really that's one of the most important pieces we do when we come on with schools is to help them understand that. So they have appropriate staffing to support that piece. So understanding as an SLP that you know, yes, you might need to sometimes, of course, you're, it's coaching. They are, they are not providing, they're not deciding on therapy. They are doing what you ask them to do. So there may be some facilitation. There may be somebody who is helping to support an AAC device or some of that tactile cueing as an SLP, but it can all be done. And so it really is, we really love to work with new teletherapists to help them understand that and kind of, it's a, it's a little bit of a shift, I think, in thinking about your therapy services. But once you realize that, yes, you still can provide that full scope of service and address all goal areas, that's pretty powerful. And really, I think empowers therapists to realize that they are adding, they're adding tools to their toolkit, as opposed to just doing something completely different. Absolutely. And that coaching was a big new thing because all of a sudden we went from working with a student one-on-one with no one else in the room, especially for those who, you know, were working in the school districts. And all of a sudden now we're working one-on-one, but we have a teacher or sorry, not a teacher. Oftentimes it was a parent mm-hmm. or a big brother or a big sister. Right. And they had to be our, what was the term you used? Primary Primary support person is yeah. our, our lingo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so they were our support person. And mm-hmm. you had to learn to trust each other and really right. learn to communicate well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. It, you know what? I, while you're on that, it's required that a district has a primary support person with the student at all times with presence learning, or how does that work? Well, I mean, I, I would. If I, if I were the school district side, I mean, I would think that anytime a student is engaging with another adult online, that there should be a staff member in the room. I think it's just common sense, safety, all of those pieces. Yeah. But, you know, if we're talking about high school students, if we're talking about, you know, kids who are very independent, they don't necessarily need somebody who's right there, but we still recommend it. We still think, you know, we... At that age, we're actually, um, sometimes the the support person is more just to make sure the high schoolers make it to the therapy session from their <laughs> classroom and they didn't get lost somewhere in the halls right. on the way. So right. it tends to be more about attendance at that age. But it, it's just, we want to always make sure we are setting expectations with schools and helping them to understand that, you know, and I, I tend to use the analogy of the level of support students need to engage and be successful in general education. So that's a pretty familiar concept for anybody working in special education is, you know, if a student is having to engage in a computer activity, which of course happens throughout student's day, what kind of support do they need? Surely, you know, there's a level of support already being provided for these students to some degree. And so giving them that framework can help. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways it can look. We talk about different ways to set it up. Sometimes it's in, you know, a few computers in the back of a resource room and maybe a paraprofessional can support both activities or, you know, we've had SLP assistants or occupational therapy assistants do kind of dual roles as maybe running small groups, but also maybe supporting a couple students. It just, it depends on the the need for the student, but it is absolutely um, an important, it's just a really important piece to make sure you're discussing and thinking through so that therapy services are successful for students. Great. Thanks. And Tasha, then, what do you see OT struggling with when they transition from an in-person type of role to more of that teletherapy role? I agree with Kristen. It's the hands-on. And a lot of times it's the hands-on in terms of sensory processing for the students because they're used to helping facilitate those different activities for students to be able to attend to, you know, whatever fine motor task they may be doing for OT. And I always like to say, you know, the kids that are running away from the computer were probably the kids that were going to be running around the room when you were on site. And so we don't have that expectation that in order to receive services, you have to be in a chair in front of the computer, sitting at the desk the whole entire session, because it's not realistic. We wouldn't do that if we were on site. 
we would allow the student to move, we would incorporate movement activities. And so that's where, you know, your activity analysis comes into play. What skills are we actually working on? Okay, so now let me be creative and figure out how we're going to work on it. Um, so for example, when I was working in virtual schools and I would have students seen at home, we would plug the laptop up to the television. The student would watch me on the television. I would watch them from the laptop and we would do our sessions that way because that way if the student's pacing or the student's running around, there's something about things being on television that really draws the kid's attention or maybe the first couple of sessions we position the laptop or the computer in a certain area, and then I have them walk, you know, to the left, to the right, into the back of the room. We put a marker and I can say, okay, I'm still in visual shot of the student while they're, you know, between those um, socks or something like that. And then we do our sessions that way. And so that's where you just become creative and you have to figure those things out. But I think initially that's a really hard thing to wrap your head around a student who's going to run around. They're not, you know, they need that sensory input, you know, just thinking about the fact that, well, hey, put the laptop on the floor, have them in prone prop under the desk. They can feel like they're in a cave, you know, so they're getting the different type of sensory input that they need. I've had kids where they're runners. So I'm like, hey, if we put them in prone prop, every single time they stand up to run, they're giving themselves proprioceptive input. And so that's what we do. They're in prone prop. They get up to run. They're pushing through, run away, wheelbarrow, walk them back. We're back in that position again. So that way, you know, you can use your environment to help with those therapy services. Awesome. It sounds like you've really had to kind of accommodate for some of those difficult situations that we all find ourselves, whether whether or not we're in person or in teletherapy, we all have to figure out how to how to manage those experiences. I want to follow up on that a little bit. What do you tell either potentially new therapists or even districts who are concerned with, hey, you know, we have some tough kids and I don't know if teletherapy is really going to be right for all of our kids. What do you tell them? Or maybe you've been in a situation where you've had a therapist come to you and say, hey, you know what? I think this kid just teletherapy isn't going to work. What do you kind of walk me through what that might look like or what accommodations you might make? And I have to say, that's usually exactly what they say. Hey, we have some tough kids. <laughs> that's almost <laughs> verbatim what I say. <laughs> And so that's one of those things where, you know, I'm completely honest. Teletherapy is not going to work for every student. However, you can't, you know, you don't really know if teletherapy is going to work unless you try it. Because some of those students that you would think are, oh, this is just not going to work for them. You know, just something about being on the computer really resonates with them. They thrive. They do a wonderful job. And then you have may have some kids where you're like, oh, I would have thought this would have been perfect for them. And those are the students that you find that, okay, this probably was not the best fit. And so I always like to suggest that people just give it a try. And that's when you talk about, okay, well, this is plan A. We're going to try this you know, these few times we're going to set up a plan and then we have a plan B if it looks like it's not working. And that's where it comes into play, having those supports that are really going to help you with your sessions. So if you're trying to piecemeal and put things together and try to figure out, okay, how am I going to make this work? It makes it much more difficult than having those resources already there. And those resources, I mean, by your choice and platform, if you do have a choice for what platform you use for therapy services, the location of your therapy services. So, you know, maybe the student would be better in a smaller room because they like to run around versus a larger room where now they've run off and it takes us so long to get back to the computer, you know, things that are less distracting. And so, whereas if we were on site, we would look around the room and we would decide, mm, is this a good area? Is this not a good area? It's the same thing you're going to do during teletherapy services. I've had it where I've had my primary support person give me a tour before we even start services. Can you turn the laptop around? Can you take your external camera and show me what you have on your shelves, what's in the room? And that way I can know, you know, are there any hazards there if the student's, you know, runs off? What things can I use in that environment that's going to support that student? Does that student need to be pushed in? Should that student be pulled out? How does your Wi-Fi hold up outside? All of those different things. And so you really have to take a good look at your environment and your resources to determine if it's really going to support that student. So it's going to be more than just, you know, do well with grandma over FaceTime. You know, that's not going to be a determining factor of whether they're going to do well with OT and telehealth services. Yeah, 
Yeah, every kid's unique, and you don't know until you try. So definitely. Now, you mentioned a term in there, uh, push-out versus push-in type of services. As a teletherapy provider, are you able to do some of those push-in services? I know when I think of teletherapy, I do typically think of that student who is going to leave the classroom, sit in another room with the PSP, the helper, and sit in front of a computer. But is it possible to do some of those push-in type of services through teletherapy? Absolutely. And it's another one of those things um, that with teletherapy, it does take a little bit of planning. But the way I reconcile that is when I was on site, it usually took some planning as to where are we actually going to do these services because you don't have a room. Whereas for push-in services for teletherapy, you're thinking about how are we going to do this? Is this going to be best where I have my primary support person and they have the headphones on and I'm coaching them and they're you know pointing as to where the students should put the their, you know, letters on the line, would it work better for the student to have the headphones on? And I'm giving direct instructions to the student. Would it work better for me to be on a laptop and do some observation first and figure out, okay, this is the classroom flow. I've done things where I've contacted the um, teacher beforehand, which is what you would do on site. Hey, um, what's your lesson plan for next week? Because I'd like to come into the classroom to work. Oh, that's great. You guys are working at Um, you know, on that writing activity. Now, is this going to be individual? Is this going to be small group? Are you going to do it in a large group? And so finding out those different types of things. So that way you can plan accordingly for your session. Other kids, sometimes other students think it's so cool when you get to be in the group with the person on camera and, you know, you just have that, your student in visual shot, you're giving those directions and, you know, that student's still interacting with their group. So really just figuring out what the plan needs to be for providing those services and certainly push-in services, observations in classrooms, consultation for the classroom, co-teaching with the teacher. Very, I mean, it's all very appropriate. Yeah. Wow. I got to admit, you just opened my eyes. Like the first thing you said was, you know, having either the PSP or the student wearing headphones in the classroom. I was like, that fixes so many problems that some therapists have when pushing in physically to a classroom because the therapist wants to say something but doesn't in fear that it's going to be distracting or whatever the case might be. But if the student has headphones on or the helper has the headphones on, then the rest of the classroom doesn't hear you and they can silently make little corrections. So that's awesome. I never thought about that. Great idea. All right. Now, when I browse through the Presence Learning website a little bit, I do see some articles about research. And, you know, whenever we have new models forming, and let's be honest, technology has evolved so much over the past, I was going to say 20 years, but really it's been closer to 30 years now that we've really had the internet at least available. What research is out there that has kind of led to teletherapy really being an established model of therapy? I will say on the OT end, we're a bit behind what this research for speech therapists, and I'll let Kristen speak to that. But what I will say is that, you know, our occupational therapy practice framework has been updated to include telehealth. You know, the AOTA does have a position paper where they support telehealth. And if you look at some of the more recent journal research articles, if you go into the AJOT and you're looking at ones from, I'd say maybe from like the past, even like three or four years, it's discussing the effectiveness of using the telehealth service delivery model for different populations. There's for autism, there's, you know, several other different occupation-based coaching services for, you know, students or children or even adults. And so I think that as telehealth continues to evolve, our research will, you know, start to bridge that gap. But as you know, telehealth is, you know, evolving so much faster than research. And even with research, there's always that lag between the day the research has been completed, when it's published, when someone reads it, when someone implements it. And then by that time, you know, it's, you're already kind of behind the ball in terms of that. But everything that exists at this point does support telehealth as a viable service delivery model on its own, not something to be used. Well, it's the next best thing. If, you know, you can't do on-site services, um, it's a viable, it's viable and comparable to providing services on-site. Yeah. Yeah. I echo Tasha's note on that. 
you know, there is more research on the speech side. I think, you know, teletherapy services started first, first really on the medical front and then with speech and OT and little psychology and mental health. So there's been this, you know, order of things. There is growing research. It tends to be, I I would say, I don't know of one just silver bullet study that says, absolutely, no matter what student you're working with, teletherapy is effective. You know, that that's just not realistic anyway. There's studies that are, you know, specific to this goal area, students with this disability, this age group. I, you know, I know your audience is generally OTs probably, so I won't get into too many details on the speech <laughs> side, but I will say there's some really interesting studies that support the effectiveness with some populations of students that really potentially the opposite of what many might think in terms of effectiveness. So for instance, early intervention, there's some good research that shows that teletherapy can be highly effective in early intervention services. And also with populations of students who are on the more severe end of the spectrum. And with both sides, part of the the reason for that is that you know, when you're thinking about early intervention, of course, the most important piece is the caregivers, you know, that coaching model. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes I think people have had the experience of doing in-home early intervention services where you come in as a therapist to, you know, for your hour. And sometimes that becomes the parent's moment to go catch up on laundry or <laughs> which they desperately need to do at all these pieces. And then you do the five minute catch up at the end of the session. Teletherapy, they can't do that when you're working with 14 month olds. They need to be present the entire time. And so they're learning. They are really learning from you as the therapist um, how to support their child the rest of the week until you're back working with them again. The same is true for students who, you know, for instance, are nonverbal with AAC devices. The most powerful thing that you can do is to really train that person who supports them throughout their day because you're, as the SLP, you're in and out and you might get. 15 minutes, 30 minutes with them once a week. So the power of that through teletherapy is really amplified, I think, as opposed to sometimes in-person services where you don't always get that person who's really with you through the whole session and learning. So there's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I think we're, we're always looking for any anything positive maybe to come out of, you know, the pandemic. I'm hopeful that there will be much more funding toward research in the area of teletherapy, because of course it really is impacting all of us and children across, you know, all kinds of areas of support. So I really look forward to seeing the future of research. Absolutely. And I, I don't, I'm not in research. I don't know the answers, but I'm sure that there were some studies that went digital and there probably already has been some funding that has gone into it and people couldn't research in person. So maybe they decided to do their research on Zoom or on another platform. And I think Tasha, you acknowledge, you know, it does take time. They say there's a 17 year gap between the research and things getting into practice. And, you know, that's not the time it takes from a research study to be published, but still it does take time from when the data is collected to going through all the analysis, the writing and to publish state. And so some of those research that might've happened in 2020, 2021, we might not get to actually see it until 2024, potentially, because it does take that time to to do all of the analysis and write up. So, yeah, that's great. I'm really looking forward to it. Kristen, you mentioned, both of you actually mentioned the coaching model. And that's the one research article that I'm most familiar with. I think it was coaching with children with ASD, I believe. And yeah, they did find success. And that primary piece was really coaching the parents. And that moves us from a position of one-to-one therapy to one to two in a way, because we're now talking to both the student and the primary care provider, which agree. I agree with everything you said, Kristen, because now that primary care provider is going to be using those strategies that we give them every hour of every day, not just for one hour of therapy. So 100% agree. And hopefully we do see more research that comes out backing that up. That'd be great. All right. So I want to talk about teletherapy going forward. We kind of talked about some research and we talked a little bit about what we're hoping to see, but I want to get your take on where you see teletherapy going. Obviously, internet is changing. We have Facebook changing their name to Meta because they believe in the Meta universe. We have Nike going to start selling shoes that are digital for characters and video games. 
How do you see all of this virtual reality, augmented reality, potentially changing teletherapy as we move into the future? I don't know. Who wants to take this one first? <laughs> well, I will start and I'll let Tasha speak to it. Yeah, I think I think there, there's no going back. I think we we know the, those who may have thought that this was a fad of some sort. I think we've pretty much dispelled that. And yes, the need is there. And also because when it's done when teletherapy is done well with fidelity, it is effective. And students are, students, adults, you know, are getting the services that they need. You know, teletherapy was born because of, out of a need for access and equity. And that is a, still a significant problem across our country, across in the world. But, you know, our focus as a company is in the United States, K-12 services, and there are significant differences in the services students are receiving depending on their geography. And that just shouldn't be. So that is the initial reason. That's why we are passionate about teletherapy, Tasha and I, because we have the opportunity to affect that and to reach students. So fortunately, the technology is just getting better. I did, you mentioned virtual reality. Um, we did a brief partnership, kind of a pilot with a VR company that's doing some awesome stuff with kids with autism. So I think there's going to just be incredible things on that front, um, integrating virtual reality for some students. And, you know, I think that it's just going to be a hybrid approach. There will always be a place for, you know, in-person services, but there also needs to be an equal place for teletherapy supports. Um, and the more, you know, we have some really incredible school partners, special education directors who are just incredibly innovative. They have been pushing teletherapy and the integration to solve so many problems, you know, anywhere from, again, students who were underserved because of where they lived, all the way over to just the time that their staff is spending driving you know, in some of these rural areas, driving hours and hours each week, just trying to reach two students who might be in, you know, one building. So there's so many areas where, again, if we are using the knowledge we have, accessing the experience of those of us who've been now doing this for a number of years, it's it's just going to expand and we're going to see, you know, I think that the, the implementation being just standard where it's not... You know, people ask me a lot, well, this is just for rural schools, right? Or this is just for, no, we're, we're everywhere. We are in very large districts where they just, they don't have enough staff to cover. They can never keep enough people on staff, rural areas, suburban, um, charter schools, private schools, virtual schools. So the need is just well-established. So I think it is, you know, Tasha and I get to be part of um, a company that is looking to be innovative and really on the cutting edge of what we can provide to support students and all and really everyone who can benefit from teletherapy. Absolutely. And Tasha, do you want to add anything to that about where you where you see teletherapy going? Sure. I, I think that not only will teletherapy, because right now we're looking at using teletherapy for skill acquisition and for rehabilitation, I think that it will be used more for wellness. There seems to be a very big mental shift where people are realizing that wellness is a thing and we need to be preventative versus reactive. So I think that that's really teletherapy is going to assist with that. I think teletherapy will be a specialty. I think it will not just, um, because it is a service modality, but it is also a specialty. And I think that it'll be more recognized as a specialty versus um, just one of the other tools that we pull out of our tool bag. But more importantly, the sociologist in me is very excited for what this is going to do, um, I feel like, for the world. Because if you think about it, telehealth is connecting people who might not other, I mean, th these are people who don't live in your community. These are people you probably wouldn't have run into at the grocery store, people you would have never had a reason to interact with. And so, you know, it's really um, transcending cultural boundaries, racial boundaries, religious boundaries, a lot of different things where I think that certainly in this, you know, time and age, we need those things. And then I also really think that in terms of just our profession, I think it's really going to help with the OT profession. You know, we do get pigeonholed a lot. We're the handwriting teachers or we're the people who help people get dressed. But I think that, you know, OT and mental health, I think that people are going to really realize that not only are we qualified for mental health, but we can deliver those things through telehealth services. 
And I think that as the world shifts more into technology, for us as OTs, we're really going to be the ones where we're saying, hey, telehealth is excellent, but let me connect some of these dots for you. These are the things that you're missing because you're using technology for these different you know, activities. And this is how we can bridge the gap. And we can also bridge this gap by using telehealth. And so I think that that kind of ironic line of thinking will really help our profession because we know those component skills that you need in order to be successful in other occupations. Whereas, you know, technology is replacing the acquisition of some of those component skills, but we can certainly use telehealth to help with that skill acquisition and to bridge those skill gaps. So I'm very excited for that, for what it's going to do, you know, for our profession as well. Yeah, I agree. I I think there's going to be a lot of great news coming out of the teletherapy side and, and a lot of, like we talked about earlier, research. All right. I want to ask a question. I don't know. One of you, I probably only need an answer from one of you, but there is a shift right now. As you know, I think both speech therapy and I know OT, you have to be licensed right now in the state that you are living in, as well as the state that the client is in. Now, I know there's some change on that front, and I don't know exactly how speech pathology works. But Tasha, what do you know about that? And what updates are there? Do you know those? Yes. So during the pandemic, there were several um, different states or even just, you know, DC, which is not a state, which maybe will be, you know, a state (laughs) and sometime in the future where they were becoming a little bit more lax in terms of being licensed in that particular state in order to provide services. And that was temporary due to the pandemic. However, um, you know, speech is also trying to, um, you know, pass their compact licensed legislature, as well as what we are trying to do for OTs, which will help people to get services faster. And so with having to have licenses for where you are located and also where you're providing services, that legislation with the compact licenses certainly will make it easier and will propel uh, further propel telehealth you know, forward. There are also states that do recognize. So, you know, you have the military clause in some states where if you are a military spouse or you are in the military, you can have your licenses expedited. So that way you're able to practice in um, another particular state. And, you know, myself, who was a military wife, that is definitely going, those laws there too, looking at those, they assist but they don't necessarily help if you're in transition between two different states. So certainly the legislature being supported by practitioners is really what's going to help us, you know, for both professions overall, but specifically telehealth. Yeah. And it sounds like AOTA is making decent progress on that. I feel like a few states have already jumped onto the compact and only needs a few more before it. Nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. And ironically, DC has not signed on. So I'm an hour from DC. So like I always start, I'm like, I need to just drive to their, you know, DCOT meeting and say, hey, look, I'm supporting you being a state. Let's, you know, let's get this in there. So, you know, if there's anybody in your listeners who are, you know, in the DC chapter of OT, like, let's get this pushed. Um, Maryland's on board, Virginia's on board. So we have both, you know, bordering the bordering states. Awesome. All right. So before we wrap up today, we have two more questions, I think. And the first one is a really lighthearted, fun one. I would like you each to share one big success story that you've had with teletherapy with a kid that you've had. Maybe it's even a provider that you had a success story with or a parent, but I'd love for you each to share a success story that you have that that's a good memory for you. Um, So I had this one student who completely adorable. When I first met her, um, she would bark at me. She very poor. She was on the spectrum, very poor social skills, anxiety, um, very poor fine motor skills, double vision, a lot of different things. And so fast forward to like three years later, and she's building like Lego firehouses, you know, without a model structure because her visual perceptual skills, her visual motor, her fine motor is better. She told her grandmother, finally, she liked to write. She started writing in her journal. She said, finally, I can write about my life. And she's writing in her journal. She's writing on the line with correct spacing. It's legible. And she's not only gone from 
barking at me through every session to texting me on the weekends. Hey, look what I did in karate. They're sending me pictures. They like knitted me socks and mailed them to my house. And, you know, they lived, you know, know, very far up in Washington. And at that point I was living in, um, I was in North Carolina, but then I was also living in Oregon. And so that, you know, was a family I would have never run into. And you know, I had such a close bond with them and it's, you know, they're texting me on, you know, the holidays and different things like that. And so that was a huge success story for me to see her from the point of evaluation to the point of discharge and to see not only how well she was doing in school, but the fact that she had more confidence that she started to make friends outside the home and different things like that. And that just so heartwarming to me. That's awesome. It's always nice to have good stories that just make us feel better, get us through those tough days. So Kristen, what about you? Yeah. So, you know, I would, I would not have stayed with teletherapy if I didn't feel that I was being effective, that I was able to address goals. So I, you know, I have lots of students I can think of where, you know, they just made great progress and it was so exciting, but I have to say one of the first experiences I had that again, kind of hooked me was with a kindergartner. And again, I'm in Colorado. I was, I'm licensed, was licensed in Oregon. So I was working for a school district in Oregon. And I think my first, my first concern, I think starting in teletherapy is that I would not have those connections with my students. I wouldn't have that same, just, we get to know each other. We feel, you know, cause that's so much of that effectiveness is of course your skill as a clinician, but also just that buy-in and them, you know, being motivated to work, do work for you. So again, a kindergartner, um, he was pretty severely apraxic. And so it was, it was challenging, but, you know, it was really wonderful working with him, but it really hit me that after working together for about three months, he invited me to his birthday party, which, you know, we had to talk about the fact that we were 1500 miles apart, <laughs> and all of that. but it was just, you know, I felt like I can still, I can still have that piece. I'm still able to connect, even though there's this screen, but it really wasn't a divide. So that was, that was just meaningful, not, not a clinical story, but just more about, I think the effectiveness and the ability to still connect with whoever you're working with on the other side. I completely will second that because I did a short stint of of teletherapy and I completed at the end of the school year and I didn't come back for the beginning of the next school year. And I don't know, part of the reason I didn't come back is I had a whole new caseload and I had built connections with some of those students and I kind of missed some of the students that I was working with. Mm-hmm. And even though they were hundreds of miles away, I was only working with kids in California, but even though they're a hundred miles away, like you still build that bond, not with just, not with just the kid, mm-hmm. but with the family and right. you really do build that bond. So right. I agree with you. That's, that's yeah. very, it's very awesome that we're able to do that and not mm-hmm. even just through teletherapy. I mean, we can have conversations I don't even know, Tasha, you said you're an hour outside of D.C. Kristen, I don't even know where you're calling in from. (laughs) I'm I'm in Colorado. Oh, you're still in Colorado. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's just amazing that we can do this with technology. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on here. And I also want to ask, Kristen, where can people go to either A, learn more about potentially being a clinician for Mm -hmm. presence learning, or even if they're thinking, hey, you know what, my district might really need this, you know, we're struggling and we're still doing teletherapy or or even they're just doing great, but maybe they need a little more support. Mm -hmm. Where can they go to learn more? So the best place is just go to our website, presencelearning.com. And you can, if regardless of whether you're an individual therapist looking potentially for work, or if you're interested in a platform that you need to use, or if it's a district, yes, looking for services, all the links are there. So it's a pretty easy to navigate website. And, you know, you can request to speak with a recruiter if you're interested in working with us or talk with one of our, you know, sales representatives, if you're, you know, looking for services for a school district and we, we do live demos and, you know, there's just a lot of great information. There's also just a ton of information on our website. There's a lot of videos that you can watch, you know, kind of services in action, you know, there's a whole blog section that both Tasha and I have contributed to. So lots of information, even just on the website itself. Yeah, I think you guys even have some like professional development type of videos. I don't know if you actually get Mm -hmm. professional development for watching them, but you have videos with some specialists and whatnot that really 
that really share some great information. So be sure to check it out, presencelearning.com. The link will be in the show notes. So be sure to check that out and go over there if you're interested in learning more. Well, Tasha and Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you here. And we'll definitely have to keep in touch about the future of teletherapy. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jason. Great talking with you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And that is going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you so much to Kristen Martinez and Tasha Holmes for coming on and sharing all of their knowledge and experiences with teletherapy and presencelearning.com, especially when they shared their biggest wins and their biggest biggest success stories right there at the end. It's always nice to see how people can, can make a big change to go from traditional in-person therapy to a more I don't want to call it modern, but a new way with teletherapy, and as they called it, a new model, and potentially even a specialization in the future, how they made that transition and were able to succeed in that. I think they are spot on with using more of a coaching model potentially going forward. That is going to be a big game changer when we are able to support, especially the the guardians and the parents in working with their child. Big success stories whenever you're able to use that type of a model, in my opinion. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope this has been a great commute for you or a great workout, whatever you've been doing while listening to this episode, even if it is just cleaning the house. I hope you had a good time listening in, and I'll see you next time on the OT Schoolhouse Podcast. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse Podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.